Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. And if you are finding value in these interviews, there are a few ways you can support me and the weekly production of the podcast that are listed on the support page of the website. And I want to show some appreciation to my five current Patreon supporters. My mom, who was the first, my Uncle Mike, and artists McKenna Hatter, America Martin, and Haley Gillespie. I'm so grateful for your monthly contributions and acknowledgement of this project, which I want to continue to create and improve, and hopefully provide a valuable resource for artists in Austin and beyond. Laura Caffrey has spent the last 20 years creating artwork out of junk. Well, maybe not always what you might consider straight-up junk, but often things that most people would not stop to pick up off the ground. She uses those found treasures and materials to create really beautiful and thoughtful assemblages. Being a lifelong learner, she has studied many different trades and subjects and has had numerous jobs in a diverse array of places, which makes her even more interesting. It was so enjoyable spending time with Laura and her pets at her home of curiosities, and we had such a nice conversation about her life and work. Her exhibit at the Doherty Arts Center will be a sort of retrospective of the last two decades that she has been creating collages. If you hear this before August 25th of 2018, be sure to pay a visit. Here is Laura. Well, Laura, thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So I think... I think you've got to be, are you like the world's most interesting woman? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at your Facebook page and you made a point of listing all these different jobs you've had. I mean, you've done so mm-hmm. many things in your life. It's just, uh, I wow. I have. I have. Um, let me list some of those things. And that who I knows just what else I'll do. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, we've just begun. Architectural history, picture framing, Handy woman. Mm, that's my current occupation. That's cool. And at one point you studied calculus, physics, American Sign Language, and you studied abroad. I did. And you're an artist. I uh, am. Who's having a show coming up soon at the Darty Art Center. And I'm just wondering, I guess, can you see the origins of kind of like the diversity of your life and your childhood? I mean, was your childhood that way or were you an artistic child? I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. And my mom is an artist, too. Oh, okay. So we were always encouraged in that way. That's helpful. To, to make stuff yeah. and to grow stuff, particularly. Garden, yeah. garden work, in very important. In Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Yes, northeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. The Wyoming Valley. Oh, I've never heard of that. Which, interestingly enough, the state of Wyoming is named after the Wyoming Valley of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And I lived in the state of Wyoming for a couple of years. Okay, of course you did. Of course I did. (laughs) (laughs) Right before I came to Austin. Okay. Because it was too cold. Yeah. So I had to 
I had to flee. So what kind of art were you encouraged to do as a child? Or what, what, did you, what were you drawn to? Do you happen to remember fashion plates? Uh, it was this toy. There was also one for boys called The Mighty Men and Monster Maker. Okay. That's, I kind of think, And yeah. you, did, you did rubbings. There were plates that had, like, knees down and torso and head, and you w- could put different parts together. Yeah. And do a rubbing and make this one, oh, yeah, one yeah, creature. Yeah. And I made hundreds of these. Yeah. And I cut them out and I colored them and I put names on the backs of oh, all right. of them. And I played school and I was their teacher oh, nice. <laughs> for my paper dolls. <laughs> I spent a lot of time by myself. Okay. And uh, Were reading. Were you the only child? No. Oh. No, I have an older brother. Okay. And you like to read? Yes, which is why I worked in a library for three years. Oh, yeah. When I was in high school, I worked at a public library in the next town over, mm-hmm. which I loved. Yeah. Yeah, and I had considered when I went back to school for architecture, it was a, I had thought maybe I'd go for information science because that interests me. Yeah. So, All the organizing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's another thing I made that yeah. you noted somewhere. Yeah. Collecting, recycling, and organizing yeah. are passions of yours. That's such passion. <laughs> <laughs> so as a child, you were creating, and then how did that kind of manifest in high school when you were older? Anything more sophisticated? I took, or? I took art classes in high school, but there were st- I guess we mostly did drawing a little bit of painting. And by the time I got to college, I only took one studio art class in college. So I wasn't, you know, like actively producing a body of work or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sort of everything was was a creative endeavor. Yeah. So your whole life was yeah. you thought of it creatively. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of like your house, and I your and I and I grew up in that old house that my grandmother was born in. Yeah. And there were parts of the house. We moved there in, I think, 1975, mm-hmm. when I was six years old. And we didn't have indoor plumbing, save for one cold water tap that, <laughs> that came into the house. We, oh. had an, we had an outhouse. Okay. And pretty soon we got the plumbing. But I remember taking baths in a big metal tub outside yeah. that my parents had filled with water and put black plastic garbage bags over to heat up the water during the day and then we'd all take a bath in there (laughs) and use the outhouse and so there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the house a lot of home improvement happening and my parents are just very do-it-yourself kind of people I was I was just part of that, yeah. You know, Hence whether I, when I was a little kid and I would be holding the flashlight, or you know, yeah. So you just started learning how to be more self sufficient, how to fix things, how to build things. Yeah, and it never a plumber was never called. Yeah, right. <laughs> that just didn't. Well, you didn't want to spend money on that. That just probably. didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're a frugal people. Yeah. yeah. Too. So then you decided to study architecture. Were you going to be an architect? Or? Well. That didn't happen until I was in my 30s. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, I graduated from high school. 
mm-hmm. in northeastern Pennsylvania, and I went to the University of Pittsburgh for my undergrad. And I couldn't decide on a major mm-hmm. and sort of talked my way into a liberal studies degree, which just meant I had to take a certain number of upper-level upper courses in whatever I felt like, which yeah. was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. So I, I left with a bachelor's degree that qualified me for nothing and everything. Okay. Lots of options then. Right. I didn't, I didn't think of it as a means to a career, really. I just wanted to learn stuff. Yeah, right. You know? So when I finished that up, I saw an ad in the newspaper. Do you remember ads in the newspaper <laughs> yeah, for <I> jobs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was an ad in the newspaper for a craftsperson. Like, we will train you how to picture frame. Oh, okay. I'm like, cool. I'll do that. Yeah. And so I started at a frame shop in Pennsylvania. Then I moved to Wyoming for a couple of years, and I worked in a frame shop and gallery mm-hmm. there. Then came to Austin and wanted to work in a frame shop because I was very well qualified to do so at that point. Yeah. And there were nothing was available at the time. So I worked a little retail gig for a couple of weeks. But I had seen this frame shop, which is now where Davis Gallery is. Okay, right. I was living in Clarksville, so it was just, you know, right yeah. down the way. <laughs> I thought, why can't I just work there? Yeah, I right. thought to myself, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be perfect? Yeah. A week or two later, again, there was an ad in the newspaper. Maybe it was in the Chronicle. I don't remember. Um, and my husband at the time said hey look there's an ad and I was like and it didn't say where it was and I said well I you know I could I guess I could call and find out called well I think I decided on somebody said the owner and I said I can be there in five minutes (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he said oh yeah we're right on 12th street I'm like yeah I know (laughs) I said, I can cut, this is six o'clock at night. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I can, I can come now. I want this job. And he was cool. He was like, well, okay. You know, cause yeah. he'd already thought he'd decided on somebody. So I went and met John Traber, the owner of Fine Art Services. And we kind of hung out for about two hours. <laughs> at one point, my husband called and asked if everything was all right. <laughs> We're like, yeah, we're getting along famously. But you you went in there with the goal of like, I'm going to get this job. I went in there thinking, this is the job for yeah, me. Right. There's no reason why this shouldn't be my job. Yeah, right. I don't I don't care who you talk to before because they're they're not as good for this job as I am. So I was hired on the spot. A client came in and he was trying to take apart a photograph that was in a frame. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me do that. Let me take care of it. And so I'm working already there during my interview. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's a working he's going to wreck it. I'm, no, yeah. come on. Let me take care of that. So, yeah, I started right away then. And in, uh, that was January of 1995, I think. And I'm wondering, kind of back up a little bit. 
when you started framing and even before that, did you think much about art or did you collect art or did you look at art? I mean, you know, because I'm sure you started becoming more exposed to art as you're framing and did you start kind of developing a taste or start buying stuff yourself or, or even think about like being an artist yourself? I was more focused on the art of framing yeah. itself than, okay. than making any art of my own in the beginning. At the first place I worked, I was just a mat cutter. That's what I did all day long, mm. which is why I ended up with carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> right. Okay. And then when I moved to the place in Wyoming, then I kind of did everything mm-hmm. there. So it broadened my experience. Oddly enough, in Austin, I mostly did mat cutting again, just because I... I preferred it. Mm-hmm. And there were other people that I was working with and I was the production manager and I, you know, I would get it all ready and give it to them to build the frame and to put it together. Yeah. But I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about making something that you'd call a piece of art. Yeah. But did you sometimes maybe something would come through to frame and you'd be like, "Wow, that is awesome." Well, Actually, something came through, and I thought, wow, I can definitely make something better than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one to start. <laughs> so that's what kind of pushed me ah, into it, because right. I was sort of like, well, here's this woman, who shall remain nameless, yes. who's, who's making this stuff, and it was collage, I thought, well, why, you know, why did she, t- why? Oh, no, I wouldn't have used that. I would have used uh, this. Or, you know, I was thinking about how I would approach it. And yeah. that's that's when I started to make pieces like the pieces that I, that yeah. I make. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So it was the late 90s when I first started. Like 20 years ago or so. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So this first... Do you remember what the first piece was? Yes. You just kind of had some stuff lying around, and you're like, let me just see what happens? Or At that point, I must have already been collecting things. Just curiosities and little yeah. things. Yeah. Here. I must have had some sort of notion that I was going to make stuff, because I, had, I was renting a house, and I had my own studio room oh, okay. in it for the first time ever. Yeah. I think I mostly went in there and listened to Jimi Hendrix, but (laughs) (laughs) it was your space. It was, it was my space. I had this big green chair. It was cookie. So yeah, the very first piece I made, which I will probably put in the Doherty show because I still have it in my possession. And it still holds up. Yep. All right. Um, I'm not sure that you'd be able to look at my stuff from 20 years ago and the stuff I made earlier this year. Yeah. And be able to tell which came from... Mm. Uh, maybe you can. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I can, but I know. <laughs> right. But I don't think that I've made any enormous changes in my style over the 20 years. I'm always thinking about different stuff. Yeah. And maybe I have. I don't know. Maybe I need somebody to push you <laughs> to know to look at it oh, okay. and tell me if yeah if they see because maybe there is something that i'm some progression or yeah complexity yeah mm. definitely 
more complex now. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I'll do a simple one. So this 20 years ago, when you start, when you made the first piece, you mm-hmm. just kind of got hooked and you just started making them yeah, more consistently? Yeah, well, like I got, daily, weekly? I got mm-hmm. a lot of positive feedback, oh, okay. uh, particularly from John Traber at the frame shop <laughs> yeah, yeah. where I worked. And he actually bought one of my early pieces. Oh, nice. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I can do this. I like it. But other people seem to like it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would frame it all there at the frame shop. So everyone would see it. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite things to do was to make a new piece and and take it in and, and let John see what, what I was up to. Oh. And we would we would talk about it. Yeah. And so I I worked there for seven years and then I decided to go back to school. Okay. To get my master's in ah, architecture. Right. And that's why I took physics and calculus at ACC because they would have assumed that someone would have taken those already if they were <laughs> going to get a master's in okay. architecture, but I had not. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So that's why, that's why I did that. Play a little catch up. Yeah. Um, and so architecture school was brutally time consuming. Mm. So there's no, no working anymore. <laughs> okay. No working at all. Mm. I can't believe I even did it. It was so much And why work. did you do it? Like, what were you thinking? Well, my, I still had the husband at the time, and okay. he and I had just bought a house. In the house were blueprints of the house. Mm-hmm. Blueprints, remember those? Oh, yeah, I did. I studied architecture <laughs> in high school. So. Oh, okay. And I was looking at the drawings. I'm like, I, I want to understand what all this... Yeah. means like i don't know what the symbols mean and what you know yeah. I, i'm interested in that and i didn't necessarily think that i would be an architect again yeah. <laughs> i use higher education as a, a hobby okay yeah and it was during i was just you know proceeding with the the first professional degree in architecture and it was probably about my second year that's when I even learned there was a historic preservation program and that that interested me yeah, yeah. as well and that there were there were people who were getting a degree in historic preservation I was doing you know new design work is what you generally do so I I I took as many of those classes as I could but I still did get the yeah. masters of architecture why did I do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. But you know what's even more work? Doing the work and taking the exams to be a licensed architect. That is even more work. And that I was not interested or willing to, yeah, <laughs> to right. do. And... Some of my some of my best friends are registered architects now, yeah. but that didn't appeal to me really. Did people think you were crazy to not go any further with it, or <laughs> after all the work? <laughs> I think they already knew before <laughs> then. So I, I don't think I'm surprising anybody anymore. Yeah, with any of my antics, but but it was satisfying to learn everything that you learned. I mean, oh yeah, um, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. And you so. have used the architectural history study 
I was an architectural historian for yeah. seven years. Right. <laughs> Which um, yeah, what is that? What is what that? is it? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> it all comes down to the National Historic Preservation Act of 1968, which states that any time that federal funds are going to be used toward an undertaking, which is any kind of building project, somebody's got to see what kind of effect that will have on historic resources. Hmm. First of all, if there are any, and then what effect might happen as a result of the project. Mm -hmm. So my first gig after I got my degree was working in New Orleans after Katrina and Rita because FEMA was going to provide people with funds to fix up their stuff and all those folks had to check that box that said yes we have we have seen what this will do yeah to historic resources so i was working fema had just before katrina had had changed how they went about things and they had specialty teams they used to do it by region you know a team would would address every property in a county or whatever it was whatever size unit and they'd switched it up so there were specialty teams that worked particularly with each sort of building type. And I dealt with schools. New Orleans has a lot of historic schools, schools that are already on the National Register, and more that could be. <laughs> yeah. so, so there was a lot of work for me to do. Basically, I would go out to this... I, I started in... Baton Rouge, that's where the Joint Field Office was. And I would travel all over Louisiana looking Mm -hmm. at schools. And then eventually I moved to New Orleans because there was just so much in New Orleans that needed to be dealt with. I still went around the state, but most of my focus was in in New Orleans. That must have been kind of heavy. I mean, you're dealing with these people that have been through this horrible event it's very interesting and mm. i mean new orleans is a kind of crazy town that doesn't necessarily follow all the regular yeah patterns yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the world so there was a lot of what we politely call deferred maintenance to begin with so the buildings were not in very good shape and then the hurricane came and made them even worse. <laughs> yes. But FEMA will pay to restore the building to its original condition. If you follow all the rules, they'll give you the money to yeah. relay an entire wooden gym floor. You know, they'll do it if you follow yeah, the rules. Right. And there were some folks who just weren't into it. Yeah. They were like, no, we no, we we want to. Our architect who you know is doing new things. There was one school in particular that had an ongoing battle with. Like, we'll pay you to restore the cypress frame windows if you want to take them out and replace them. We're not going to give you any money to do that. And so it's sort of my job to. I'd like to think of it as talking them into doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But some weren't having it. Seems like you must then have a passion for these old structures, oh, these old I buildings, do. the history. I do. Yeah, and having grown up in one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And through that process of living there and interacting with all those people, what did you did you learn anything in particular about yourself or about people in general or 
I learned that hurricanes are bad news. Yeah. And that being an architectural historian is not something that people readily understand mm-hmm. what I'm doing. It's unfortunate because it's sort of come in and say, no, you have to do it this way. And people don't want to be told what to do. Their whole life is in an uproar. And, yeah. you know, here I am saying, oh, no, no, you have to do it that way if you want the money. Yeah. Most people aren't used to people telling them that, yeah. <laughs> you know. What else were you doing during that seven years that you were um, so So that was about the first year that I was being an architectural historian. Then I came back to Austin. I was working for the same company. And most of the work I did for the following six years was for TxDOT, mm-hmm. the Department of Transportation. So if they want to widen a road, I would be hired under contract to go and survey everything that's on either side of the road. Yeah, that might be demolished or... Right, that might be affected in, in any way. Yeah. You know, even even like the view. The view might be an important aspect of, of something's historical importance. Yeah. So if you plant a big highway in front of it, that might wreck it. Yeah. So yes, TxDOT is most of the work that I did. But and, I, and, that, and all over Texas. And were you still creating art this whole time, or yep, you were. Mm-hmm. Okay. I having even, shows. I mean, when was like your first like exhibit? My first or? show was actually when I was still in architecture school. I had a friend who knew a team of architects who had a great little space who liked to have art shows every now and then. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a solo show <laughs> right out of the box, nice. <laughs> which was nice. Since then, I, you know, I've had some restaurant shows here and there. I've um, had pieces in the uh, People's Gallery for the city. Mm-hmm. Occasionally a show here or there. But it's, it's not my full-time job, and it really would need to be in order to, to get myself out there, yeah. I think, you know. You have to dedicate a lot of time to self-promotion, which I have not done. I'm waiting to be discovered. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> and then what whisked away? Uh, I don't, yeah. New York? Or I'm, not, I'm not sure. Well, no, how, I'm, I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> um, I mean, how important is your art to you? Like as far as like when you think about everything that you do in your life, is it an, an important part? I'd say so. You get some fulfillment from it. I do. And and having a piece in a show is generally more exciting than, you know, having a handy woman job. Yeah. And I applied to the to the Doherty call um a friend of mine because he's the program director at Elizabeth Nay. Uh he said, "Yeah, they they're having a call. You should apply." I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that won't take too long <laughs> yeah, right. to do. Because, you know, all the applications, everybody wants a different format and a. Yeah, photo sized. Yeah, a everything way is different. And so it's not like you can press a button and yeah. get in. So I have to consider how, how much time I want to put into that. And then you have to actually consider having all the work ready for the show if you get accepted, too. Well,. I have a large body of work that I have, and that's why that's why I said I'm earlier that I'm not 
I'm not worried about finishing up anything yeah. for it because I have far more pieces that can fit in the space. That's a big space. Well, I'm only in one side wing. I'm okay. not in the I'm not in the main the mm-hmm. main gallery. I'm in a side wing. But I said to them, "Really? I've got enough to <laughs> I can fill the whole the whole thing." Oh, I think. wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's not like well, this is an early piece, and then mm, I no, I still I still stand stand you by like all, all of it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Those I have are, my favorites, but <laughs> yeah. Is there anything notable to talk about as far as like maybe when you decided to stop being a historian and then kind of bring us up to present day? As far as well, I decided to stop being a historian when I got laid off. Mm. from being a historian someone else decided <laughs> which was fine i didn't have a lot of work to do toward the toward the end of it this was 2012 okay. i guess i thought about having my own historic preservation consulting business mm. i even had one for five minutes with a name and everything yeah but I really was not interested in going out and getting the work. That seemed tedious mm-hmm. to me. More, more self-promotion. More, more terrible than applying for an art show. Okay. <laughs> Far more terrible. Yes. <laughs> and so I was unemployed for a while before I decided to do the handywoman gig. I think mm-hmm. I, I went and... You know, before I decided it was a business, I went and, you know, did a couple jobs for friends and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I could do this. I could do it. And I and I don't really do any promotion. It's all word of mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems I'm just thinking about being a handy woman. You're like fixing things, putting things together, taking things apart. It seems like it relates to your work in a way, doesn't it? Oh, yes. And I always my pockets are filled with weird little bits and pieces that that I think are attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have ideas about using. Yeah, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of one of your goals I had read is to maybe inspire people to reconsider previously underappreciated materials? Oh, yeah. This afternoon, I was picking up washers off the ground in a parking lot. <laughs> I'm like, no one sees this as a beautiful thing, but look at the patina. Look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I'd seen one piece on your Facebook page that had like used, almost looked like sparkler stick ends or something like that. Welding rods. Welding. Oh, that's right. Welding Mm -hmm. rods. Yeah. Yeah. Something that probably millions of them are thrown away every day. Yes. But those in particular were ones that I had used when I made a shelving unit. Oh, okay. I took a class. At the Doherty Another Arts class. Center <laughs> in 1990-something and made shelves out of mild steel, put glass shelves on it, and saved the stubs of the welding rods yeah. that I used. And, it, you know, it was a little while before I put them together in that piece. But Well, we're here in your home. I, w- I mean, I wouldn't say you're a hoarder or anything like that. I mean, not at all. Not even close. But you do have a lot Maybe of stuff. Maybe that says more about you <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do like having a lot of stuff around myself. So. I just, I just recently, it has occurred to me that I really like stuff. I like the material, physical nature of stuff. Yeah, it really is so attractive to me. Oh. And I you know it's not like cool and 
then to like stuff. <laughs> but I do. Yeah. And, you know, no, this like is my cross too. to bear. <laughs> I, yeah, I fantasize about being a min- minimalist, but I think I do like stuff a lot myself. I love stuff. <laughs> well, look around. You yeah. it's, it's There's, there's stuff, stuff everywhere. So maybe let's talk about your work. Maybe how would you describe your work or the process of making a piece, how it starts? Or Generally, I get inspired by some piece of material, mm-hmm. whether it be the, the color of it or the shape of it. They tend to be kind of monochromatic, really. I love finding all sorts of different things that are in a similar color palette but don't have anything to do with one another mm-hmm. except except for that yeah. <laughs> except that they match yeah or i'll get an idea about a composition that i like i've got a thing about checkerboards mm. when i was 12 i painted the ceiling of my bedroom with green and white checkerboards oh, wow. i've never <laughs> heard of that before <laughs> that's interesting I think it's still that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is still that way. So I get to go visit it. And it's bright Kelly green. It's not a color that I am interested in anymore. Yeah. (laughs) But I still like the checkerboard. And generally, I'll I'll get a piece of matte board. I always use 1606 Crescent Off-White matte board as the base Mm -hmm. for, for all of my... All of my framed pieces. I have a few non-framed pieces, but yeah. and I'll start gathering bits and putting them together and moving them around. And I usually have a couple of pieces going at a time, and I'll I'll switch in between them. Like I'll be working on one, and I'll be oh wait, I want to use this, but it's not good for this one. This piece will be yeah better. Just they're all else. kind of marinating and they're yeah. building slowly. Yeah, so I've got you know got them in boxes and on shelves and I'm shuffling them around because I don't have a lot of space in which to work. Is there a moment where you're like out in the world and you see something and you're like this is the final piece (laughs) and you bring it home and you put it in place and it's like it's done. (laughs) No. That would be exciting. (laughs) No I don't think so. I think I I generally have all the things I just have to find them. Oh, okay, it, I already have so many okay. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many things that I rarely. Every day I find something that I pick up and oh. want to use. So you're constantly somewhere. when you're out in the world, you're constantly looking around, looking yes, down. Like I said, this afternoon. Everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> watchers. Yeah, and this great chunk of yellow glass. Oh, I think it's outside. So sometimes you pick up stuff that you're not going to use in your work, like a big chunk of well yellow glass. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Like I said, sometimes uh, I have this homage to Tesla. Oh, that's yeah. That's in that box right there. Yeah, that's very cool. Thank you. How do you think you developed your visual taste as far as like how you arrange things? Born with it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is it- I, my favorite, my favorite artist. If if you can't tell, and I'm sure that you can because people can, is Joseph Cornell. His weird little boxes with birds and glitter and clay pipes and things with numbers on them. Yeah. I just, he's my hero. But I am, I'm way tidier than he is with my 1606 mat board. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, I strive to be a little 
messier, but oh. it hasn't really yeah. taken. It's hard to let go. You know, because, I mean, in my mind, it's going to be framed behind glass. Right. And it can't have shaggy bits of stuff that are going to fall out and sit on the mat. Yeah, right. You know? Are you attaching things with glue? or uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 527 glue. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how I I stumbled across that, but that's that's the key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is your work about, do you feel like? When you're creating something, are you putting thought into what it means, or is it all visual and textural? I am generally not thinking about what it means, because I don't know that I am imbuing it with any particular sort of meaning. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm more inclined to let the viewer take what they want from it. Yeah. I'm not generally sending a message. But if except you're... except look at this amazing old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is the message. <laughs> look at this stuff that you walk by every day and don't care about. But uh-huh. look at it. But sometimes I, there's one piece in particular I saw that had, like, words almost like oh, cut out of a... yes, I so did. there's I, a message there, obviously. Well, and you're kind of putting that message with certain visual things. I mean, it could, yeah, could yeah. be leading a little bit, I suppose, right? There's, there's a piece... <laughs> the dog is yawning. Yeah. There's a piece I have called Regenerate, and it has the word regenerate on it. And it's because... When I was making it, I was leafing through a science book, and I found this page that had drawings of chicken blastocysts mm. on them. So the developing chicken embryo. And there were eight of them. And I thought, I w- already kind of had it in my mind, the, the size of the piece I was going to do. And I was like, oh, that would be good to put those all around the edges, but I wish there were more. That, oh, well, maybe there's some other creatures, blastocysts, in the science book. <laughs> so I leaf through the book, and I discover that the same chunk of about 50 pages was repeated in the book. Whoa. And exactly that same page with eight chicken blastocysts was in the book again on page 156, and again on page 156. <laughs> That was that was later. <laughs> I think I called somebody in the morning when I was like, "You are never going to believe this. <laughs> I'm working on this piece, and it's about like the the creation of this chicken, and it it then it was another chicken, and yeah." And I was That's amazing. I think I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, that I didn't start out with that kind of idea. Yeah. And I don't know, I think I put the page, both of the page numbers on the piece, too. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, some, there's another microscopic uh, image on there, too. Yeah, it's like how incredibly rare that book must have been, a misprint of some sort. Yeah. And you came across it yeah. as you were wishing right. for it. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you'd mentioned something. You said, ask me about my charmed life earlier, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, charmed but tragic. Oh. So, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I talked about John Traber at the frame shop. Yeah. So when I left the frame shop after working there for seven years, John gave me my favorite pencil. Okay. <laughs> and he said, I want you to keep the keys to the shop. And you can come in whenever you want and use whatever you want because I trust you and 
love you and support you in your artistic endeavor. That's beautiful. So amazing. So, you know, I continued to go back to the shop. The shop uh, was, it was only on 12th Street for about a year, and then it moved down to South Lamar, and it, now there's a giant condo there. Okay. <laughs> it was a little a little house in the front that had the um, the frame samples and stuff yeah. in it, and then the metal building in the back where I worked. That's gone, and there's now up on North Lamar. You know that kind of business park at Koenig and Lamar? Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of behind Tataya's? Yep. That place? Yeah, I used to live right over there. Ah, it's located in there. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, every couple of months I would say, you know, oh, I need more mat board. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd call them up and they'd order it for me and I'd go pick it up. And then I would come in with pieces of work and talk about them with John and frame them and have such a great time. Oh, nice. (laughs) Um, And then... Two years ago, three years ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia Mm. and died pretty promptly. Mm. And I wasn't able to do any work for a while because it was so, his feedback was so important to me. And not even really his feedback, just I wanted to show him what I was making. Yeah. And the year after he died, I I made two pieces for the five by seven at the mm-hmm. Contemporary, and I used the molding that he had designed and had custom made. It was called FAS Number One Fine Art Services Number One, mm-hmm. and I used that molding. And that's the only thing I did for like two years. Mm. Did it just feel like what's the point? I don't have anyone. That I, I want to show this to. Or. I just was not inspired. I was still, you know, collecting crap because I thought I'd, you know, get around to it. But it just, yeah, it wasn't fun. Yeah. It wasn't fun. And so now his wife, who's a friend of mine, also owns the shop. And I'm friends with the guys who work there. And I and I go there. But it's it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. But those are good guys. How were you able to kind of continue after a couple of years then? I don't, I don't know. It just took time. Yeah, I think so. Did your work change at all, do you think? I don't think so, but I'm always thinking about John when I'm working on it. Oh, wow. And I think about him almost every day anyway. Yeah. It makes me think of, and I know you're a fan of Faustinus' mm-hmm. work. It makes me think of his whole idea about the subconscious and, you know, like when he went to Mexico because his mom was in the hospital, he just went out and shot and then he realized later that all that work was about death. You know, yeah. have you ever kind of learned anything about yourself through your work or kind of see that kind of things like he he does with his um, photography? I think I'm in too deep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ah. Yeah, I don't have a good perspective on it because every little every little I know where every little bit came from mm-hmm. I have a relationship with every little bit and when I put them all together 
then that's what other people see. But I still have a relationship with each little bit. So it's it's another it's another entity when it's all together. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Does it make it hard to let them go then? Oh, in the very beginning, I was like, I am never going to sell anything. It's all too lovely. Mm. I can't. I can't. I love it all. They're like my babies. Yeah. I can't. I can't do that. I think then John wanted to buy a piece. Oh. And I said, okay, we could do that. It almost had to be him to be the first one, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wasn't. I wasn't promoting it to anyone i mean i didn't i didn't sell anything until well until that piece to john that was while i was still working there but i didn't have a show until after i was not working there anymore and when you had that first show and you knew that someone might buy those pieces how did that feel they didn't (laughs) they didn't so you were relieved no i was Oh. It's like, no, but I didn't sell anything. They're like, Yay. we're so sorry we didn't sell anything. You're like, it's cool. I'm happy. No, by that by that point, I was I was ready to sell them. Because I think, because I had the feeling like I can keep making these. It's not like a finite thing. Yeah. And if I sell these, there'll never be any more. Yeah. I got, I got the feeling like I can always make more. I can always yeah. make more. I just uh, fairly recently sold a piece that I had for a long time not been willing to part with. Yeah. And then a friend of mine said, oh, I really like that one. I'm like, oh, well, I'm okay if it goes to your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. I know where it is. Ah, and, come and visit it. Yeah. And I, I like you and I like it and you'll be very okay. happy together. There are some pieces, mostly the ones hanging up around here that that I I don't put in shows because I don't want to I don't want to sell them. But most of what I make now is for sale. Have you ever had someone that bought one of your pieces that wanted to know the story of every component of it? Oh yes. Oh. And I'm happy to tell them. I wonder sometimes if when I show work, if I should make a list of what all the materials are. Oh, yeah. But I think that'd be very interesting. I think I prefer if people ask me. Yeah. And that would be a lot of work because there's a lot of different things yeah, in, yeah, no, that in would, all of that stuff. It would probably be easier just to wait for one person to ask. I had a, I had a show at uh, Hyde Park Bar and Grill. I had an artist statement and it was just a list of things I think are art materials. Yeah. But I think there were a hundred different things that I listed, you yeah. know, cat whiskers and garbage. I found, <laughs> You know, whatever, Anything. old yeah. light bulbs, doesn't matter. Will your show at the Darty almost be like a retrospective? I Yeah, it will be. Um, a friend of mine, uh, do you know Ricardo Acevedo? He's I've a photographer yeah. and a poet and musician. Oh. I ran into him at some sort of event and he said, you know, I'm thinking about doing a retrospective show because it's been like 20 years that I've been doing this stuff. And I'm like, hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I plan on, on showing some of, the, some of the early works. Oh, wonderful. And that's going to be called Reject Respect. Yes. I like alliteration in my show names, <laughs> and I like to have one negative and one positive. Okay, nice. Because I feel like I'm taking 
garbage and making it glorious. There's another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had trash treasure. Uh, silk purse sow's ear. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, I have a big list somewhere that yeah. I choose from. What do you like most about being an artist? Making the work. Because I love the materials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting to work with strange and wonderful things. And you really love color. Tell me about your relationship with color, too. Well, I like individual colors <laughs> I don't necessarily like to put them together mm. in the the series I have with the checkerboard frames I have five different pieces and each of them are a different color mm-hmm. um, there are very few pieces that well there aren't so many that have any color at all <laughs> yeah. actually I I'm really keen on old paper color <laughs> and black and crescent off white (laughs) or metallics i sometimes go with with metallics but i like the range within one color rather than complementary yeah yeah putting them together so what and and that's my complaint about most artwork that i see Uh, oh too colorful (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because some people are like i love color i'm all about color and so many bright colors and the like mm, no they like it's sort of washed out and the barest hint, hint of yeah. of ratty edges on a piece of paper you know mm. stained edges from the spine and do you have any idea where your love of stuff of objects came from or when your first memory of that was well, probably from growing up in that house yeah. where I did, because there were some amazing, magical things in that house. There were, like, old prescription bottles and just crazy, house dusty... House of curiosities. Yeah, and people would come to my house when I was a kid, and I would show them all of the weird stuff <laughs> that was there. That was my idea of fun, and... As you can tell from when you arrived here, I still enjoy, yeah. look at all of these fun and things. And that's what your work is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. I never had a chance. <laughs> I'm guessing you're hoping anyone that comes to see your work at the Darty would come away with more of an appreciation for the mundane objects around them. Certainly. Or garbage or things yeah. that are on the ground that yeah. no one cares about. Absolutely. And I'd love to talk to them about it, too. Yeah, well, you're going to have your opening reception on Saturday, June 16th from 1 to 3. Yes. At the Darty. And the show will be up until August 25th. Yes. So that's a good run. It's a long time. I think it's because it's during the summer mm. and they don't uh, turn over shows as quickly in the summer. But I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I'll also be participating in their date night on July. Hmm, I can't remember what the date is. And... I'll be there in conjunction with um, Austin Creative Reuse, Mm -hmm. and they'll be bringing some stuff, and maybe I'll bring some 1606 mat board, (laughs) and uh, let people play around with their with their own own notions. Yeah, so that should be fun too. I'll be able to interact with people then. Well, I'm looking forward to your show, and I'm just wondering. 
Do you have any advice for younger artists that are just starting out? No. No. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I sort of feel like if you feel compelled to do it, you should do it. Because there's nothing stopping you from doing it. If you want to be rich and famous... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how I can help you there. (laughs) But yeah, just do it. Because for a long time, I didn't do it. And I I suppose I could have been. And you felt like something was missing or? Well, I think I felt like I kind of have an issue with calling some discrete thing a piece of art and saying, oh, I'm an artist and this is my art. It took me a long time to think that that was okay for me to do to make this thing and since I frame everything almost everything it's really an item (laughs) you know it's not like a pile of stuff you know or a yeah yeah it's very specifically a piece of art I don't know if I thought about people liking it or not I don't know I don't remember but I just felt compelled to do it at a certain point. Yeah. Well, I really like your work. I think it's it's very visually appealing to me. I enjoy Thank it. you. And that's I'm sure that's what I strive will. for. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Well, thanks, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on iTunes. That could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try. At austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care.